Hey, everyone. Before we start today's show, I just wanted to thank everyone that submitted a review on Apple Podcasts for Kitchen Table Magic. Thank you very much. It really helps new listeners find the show by improving its discoverability on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to leave us a review, even though you don't have Apple Podcasts, just go to your iTunes and find Kitchen Table Magic in the podcast section and click on the little five-star thingy. Thanks, everyone, for your support. Kitchen Table Magic is presented by Hipsters of the Coast. Hipsters of the Coast is the premier news and strategy blog for the Magic the Gathering community. Read up on insightful columns written by an expert team of Magic insiders. There's something for everyone, discussion about legacy, commander, preview cards from the new set, and more. Go to hipstersofthecoast.com for news and strategy and all of your favorite formats. That's hipstersofthecoast.com. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. With fast shipping, the best sleeves, deck boxes, binders, and all the modern legacy and commander staples you could ever want, Card Kingdom is there with the hookup. If you'd like to support the show, just use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash KTM when you shop. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. Tune in to watch their live paper and moto streams at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for daily legacy action. Can you please introduce yourself? My name's TJ, sometimes better known as the Red Baron, and I'm here to show it and spread the love of the color red in all of its different ways. Let's have some fun. Let's do some stuff. Let's talk. Okay, Chris, can you introduce yourself? My name is Chris Fritter, and I am a red mage. I love blowing things up and doing it in a chaotic fashion. Hi there. Could you please introduce yourself? My name is Patrick Sullivan. I am a has-been slash never-was professional Magic player. Nowadays, I work in Denver uh, for a game design studio called Direwolf Digital. And on weekends, I moonlight as a Magic the Gathering commentator on behalf of Star City Games. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. This is part four of our five-part series on Wooburg. In this episode, we're talking about Magic's spiciest flavor of mana, red. Commentator and streamer TJ Rogers joins us to talk about his favorite color and why he loves Tybalt. Level 2 judge and Card Kingdom's pricing expert Chris Furterer talks about why red is the color of his youth playing Magic. And the legendary Patrick Sullivan gives us his thoughts on red from a game design perspective. Just like the chaotic nature of Red, this episode jumps around, so you'll want to listen to every second of it. See what I did there? I hope you enjoy my conversations with TJ Rogers, Chris Furterer, and Patrick Sullivan on the color Red. TJ, you are here as a specialist to talk about Red. Could you please take a position and tell us why Red is better than all the other colors? Red is better than all the others because it actually does something. All the other colors waste their time, they waste their resources just trying to prepare for things. Green wants to ramp up to some big finale. White wants to restrict everyone else's fun so that their mediocrity can shine. Blue just wants to think about it until they come up with something that's a better answer. And black is too busy wasting its time on what it's already done and killed. Red just is doing it. It's stepping up, it's taking action, and it's just going to get into the fight. It's going to get out of the fight because it's done. We're moving. We're doing things because that's what we do. TJ, why did you choose to talk about red today? Oh, I love red. It is the color that I absolutely love playing. You know, when you're talking about enjoying a game and when you're talking about doing something with your time, it needs to be something that you feel about and you feel passionate about. And red gives me that avenue that when I'm casting these spells, when I'm taking these actions, when I'm playing these games, I'm in the moment, I'm taking action, I'm reacting to what they're doing. They're reacting to what I'm doing. There's this exchange of how we're going into this game and it lets me move forward with a game plan rather than always search for what I'm trying to do. I know what I'm here to do and I'm going to do it. What does red make you feel when you play red spells, when you're playing that red game plan? Is victory a feeling? 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah. All right. Uh, it makes it's exciting. It's good. Well, you know, when you've got a game which comes down to decisions at its most base level, when you are playing a style which lends itself to faster games, shorter games, then every time that you make these decisions, they carry so much weight behind them. When the game has four turns, I've got four turns that each take up 25% of how this game is going to go. If I mess up, I'm going to lose. But if you mess up, you're going to. And I think you are going to mess up first. What do you enjoy most about playing the color red? It's probably the most fun making people react to me. It's a lot of fun when you have an opponent who steps up to the table, they think that they've got a game plan, and right off the bat you're smacking them with a goblin guide, and now they have to react. They have to contain the situation, and you are that situation. Making them step up to the plate, making them manipulate this game while you are in control is very exciting. It's a lot of fun to just consistently apply that pressure towards those opponents and really put them to the test of what they can do with whatever resources they chose to keep and what they can put together. That's fascinating that you use the word control. A lot of players don't think of the red color identity as having control from a thematic standpoint. They also don't think of it as red being a control archetype or like a control deck. When I say control deck, everyone thinks about blue, but red has a lot of control elements to it. I mean, even colors like all the burn spells, lightning bolt, it's a great control spell because it gets things off the board and it kills your opponent. And then also things like blood moon, that absolutely controls things. Oh, absolutely. And it's something to where, you know, think about a balloon. And one way that you can control a balloon is by tying it to a chair. And sure, the, the balloon is contained. It's not going to go anywhere. But what I want to do is I want to take that balloon. And I just want to put my hands on it and I want to hold it down. I'm applying pressure to that balloon and I am in control of it by applying that pressure. Why did you choose to talk about red? I feel like, honestly, I, I chose red because I said that red was my favorite color during my, my interview. Other than that, I've just been kind of pigeonholed into it. I've been shoehorned into, into this color. I love red because it is, it's the flavor of magic. All the other colors have their thing, and red is the color that embodies Magic the Gathering as a fantasy card game. Like, it, it is, the, it's the thing that, that reigns all of the the min maxers and power gamers in and says, eh, yeah, discard some cards at random. How about that? All right. How about, how about we, how about we choose some targets at random? Now, does that, does that help you? Your swords of plowshares doesn't work. Cause now instead of casting swords of plowshares, you're going to be casting healing salve. Everything's crazy. Up is down. This isn't the game that you were hoping to play. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you guys today about red because I think red is the flavor of magic. It's the spice of life. It's the spice of life. It's flavor town. <laughs> <laughs> you do love playing red the most or you don't love playing red the most? I Okay, so I love playing... To be honest, I love playing combo decks in magic. I think combo is like the, the, most, uh, the, the most interesting way to play magic because it typically takes the way that you would normally play magic and like flips it upside down. You're like, hey, guess what? Instead of playing a land and then playing a creature, instead I'm going to cast a bunch of spells and you're dead. Red encompasses some portions of that. So like you'll have dredge as a as a combo deck will have faithless looting so i mean that's a thing and like some storm decks will play with like pyretic ritual and seething song so there's there's a bit of red that kind of that goes into just about everything i think a lot of the decks that i that i enjoy don't have red as the forefront of it but they definitely it there's there's a there's a there's a, a dash of it here and there TJ, can you tell us something about the red color identity? Something that perhaps you know that normal players or other players won't know. Well, one thing is that red does have the only turn one win in modern using only one singular card. Mana Clash is, of course, the card that I'm talking to. Uh, red sorcery that each player flips coins and whoever flips a tails takes a damage and you keep doing it until you both flip heads. It's wildly inconsistent, it's a whole lot of fun, and it might just get you a turn one win. But beyond that, I think a lot of people don't realize that Red is actually capable of playing a controlled game plan. And that's in a couple of different ways. There's, you know, classic or at least known strategies like Scred, which is actually operating a little bit more on a prison archetype using Blood Moon and even using Burn, one thing that 
I am known among the people who see me play for doing is actually I play burn a lot more like a control deck than many other burn players you ever see will do. And it's because the deck is capable of more. And a lot of that comes down to the versatility that red offers. Because while the other colors offer their own modality in each of their spells, reds are both actionable whenever you're using them. When you take Lightning Bolt, which is the most perfect card ever created, it's able to both apply pressure to the player or apply pressure to the creatures. And it does both of them when you want it, when you need it, and it does it immediately. So when you're looking and evaluating the strategy that you're up against, you have a lot of capacity in how you manipulate this one. If you think that you have got more removal spells than they have threats that you can actually contain, then you can really sit back and play this game plan and then let your admittedly somewhat mediocre threats and your smaller creatures take the game over once that interaction has been dealt with. I think that red is capable of a lot more than people give it credit for. It does operate as aggro combo and occasionally control. When it comes to the history of magic, there are so many hobbyists that enjoy magic that are also like the historians of magic that are like, they're there to fact check you every step of the way. You say something, you're like, yeah, so listen, they're like, um, actually, uh, it was printed here in this, in this comic book promo that came out and whatever, in some duelist magazine promo. You're like, okay. But I feel something about magic that some people might not know that they kind of overlook. Um, I don't know if this is fact or not, but I'm going to say that it's fact. Red was Red got the the first planeswalker. They got Jaya Ballard, which is not a planeswalker, and maybe isn't ever was never said by Wizards of the Coast that it is a planeswalker. But it it has the breakdown of what a planeswalker is. You cast something, it's got these different tiers of effects that you get off of it. It looks like a planeswalker. It tastes like a planeswalker, but it's not a planeswalker. It's it's like this like I can't believe it's not planeswalker. It was uh in uh time spiral as a rare, so it was like red tap dis- discard a card, destroy target blue permanent. One red tap discard a card, Jai Ballard Task Mage deals three damage to a creature or player, and it's like an incinerate basically, can't yeah. be regenerated. And then five red red tap discard a card, Jai Ballard deals six damage to each creature and each player. So it's like very death right shamany. Yeah, it's it's very much a uh, it has those tiers of like good thing, better thing, best thing effects att- ass- associated with it. And what I I literally just found out, I kind of assumed it because you know Wizard of the Coast, Seattle, Washington. I just found out that Jaya Ballard's surname of Ballard is from Ballard, where Card Kingdom is located. A lot of people really kind of dumb red deck wins down to the fact this is like, you just need to count to 20. But that's really not true. You've looked at how difficult it is to pilot burn decks in all formats. And then you look at people who, like, for example, Patrick Sullivan at Basic Mountain on Twitter. I mean, the legendary Pat Sullivan, he's very good at playing burn. And there's something about the way he will play burn that will make him very powerful. And there's something where the average player will play burn and be like, oh, red sucks. It's easy to lose against or you pick up free wins or whatever. You count to 20. There's a lot of depth. Yeah, this is something that touches on something I mentioned a little bit earlier, which is that when you're playing these really aggressive strategies, it's really easy to forget how much every single decision matters. Uh, To take a look at the other end of the spectrum, say I'm playing a blue-white control deck. My turn one land, because I don't intend to play a spell, has a small level of importance, followed up by my turn two play. And each one of these spells, you know, I'm going to make a lot of interactions throughout this game, whether it's through my cantrips, whether it's those lands, because I expect the game to go long. In every decision that I make, there are many of them. But each one of them offer a lot more room to be wrong, because they each carry less weight, because there will be lots of time for them to recover. Red does not have the same luxury, or red aggressive strategies don't have the same luxury. Every time that you make a decision with the deck, you are now tied to that decision. There will be very little time to recover from it. So you're sequencing your decisions and making sure that you've got a game plan which will continue itself as you step into that game and recognizing how your opponent will be reacting to you. Every one of these decisions carries such an enormous weight within the game, and to toss out fake numbers, you might say that the blue-white deck, each one of its decisions accounts for 2% or 
5% of its overall gameplay, with a red player choosing its first land followed by its first creature because they're aware of what their second turn play is going to be, you start looking at these plays which are worth 10 to 15% of the game and they carry so much more weight that when they go wrong, it's going to cost a lot more. But when they go right, then they carry also a lot more weight towards moving it into that finish line. Yeah, when red is being played properly, red is inevitable. Like you can see the win six turns ahead. They don't call it red deck wins for nothing. Yeah. And when you play it wrong, it feels overwhelmingly weak. If you're just like, draw a card, play a mountain, draw a card, burn for three, draw a card, oh, it's another land, draw a card, oh, burn. That just seems so terrible. But when it's like, draw a card, creature, attack, draw a card, creature, creature, attack, 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 burn you, it's like, wow, there's a clock. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not to say the deck doesn't have simplistic elements. It is a deck that I would absolutely recommend to someone who is new to the game because it does offer a relatively high floor in where you are entering at. Because the turn sequences are relatively straightforward if you were to draw them up in generalizations. You are going to play a land and you're likely going to use all of your mana and your spells have a lot of redundancy among them. It's where you find those tiny niche differences in how they might apply themselves later in the game, recognizing that a lightning bolt and a lava spike, the difference in casting one now might help you prepare for a dispel in the future. You know, recognizing that between your lightning helix and your skull crack, well, are you playing around life gain or are you more anticipating that you might have to hit a creature with one later? So if you're expecting that you have to hit a creature, you fire off your skull crack. If you have to anticipate the life gain, then you want to use your helix. That way you have the other one available. And getting into that level of recognizing the actions that your opponents make is a very significant indicator of what their game plan is going to be. And as you recognize that each of their decisions is lending itself to their game plan, finding how you can interact with what you expect out of them is going to be what takes it to that next level. Patrick, we want to ask you a little bit more about the red color identity for our Wooberg series. And so I just wanted to ask you, what do you know about red that you think other players don't generally know? I think people think that the framework for the games when they're playing red is all about the life total. And what I really appreciate about playing red and particularly aggressive red strategies, if you've played a blue control mirror match, the games are largely just about card advantage and land drops or just generating mana. Your life total is kind of an afterthought. When you're playing certain green or white creature matchups, the game is largely about having the best presence on the battlefield. And even if you're behind on cards, or even if you're behind on life total, if you have this advantage, you're able to leverage it. With red, and I think part of the reason I really appreciated the experience when I played it the first time was sometimes it's about life total. That matters often. Sometimes it's about card advantage, either forcing your opponent to have dead cards or playing around certain cards or getting trying to get profitable blocks. Sometimes it's about presence on the battlefield and making certain double blocks to get their biggest thing off the battlefield. The games can be very fluid, and they can be about different things inside of the same game, whereas a lot of the Magic I had played previous was it's just about mana and card advantage, or it's just about having the best thing on the battlefield. And I think the fact that the games can be so fluid about what matters, I think is something that I personally appreciate a lot, and I think something that a lot of players don't necessarily think is the case. I think they think it's very mindless, very straightforward, just about... Lava spikes and counting down from 20. And some of the games are like that, but not all of them. And you have to be able to identify when the game's about one thing and when the game is about another thing and when those roles have shifted a little bit too. What I really hear you say is really being able to value resources in a particular way. When every single turn, each player gets to draw one card, the concept of card advantage as a, as a theory in gameplay is very important, right? You don't want to get two for one because that means your opponent is suddenly ahead. And what you were just talking about, valuing life, it's not just about counting down from 20. It's all about, it's also about valuing what the board state is, valuing what your position is, valuing what the other opponent's lines of play are. It's having much more situational awareness, taking more of a holistic approach about what is actually going on and how to value different cards at different times. Right. Like a, a really good example, I think, of, of this is how do you play around days in Legacy? You generally don't want to run into a days if you can avoid it. And if you've gone on for a really long time 
and not played into a daze and your opponent has brainstormed and shuffled, I'm usually willing to dial up my willingness to play into daze a little bit because there's a good chance that that daze has been shuffled away at that point. If a card that I'm trying to set up is Price of Progress, I value playing around days less because the days is naturally good against Price of Progress, even if I play around it, because they're going to be able to pick up one of their non-basic lands. Or if they play a Wasteland, then they can Wasteland one of their own dual lands in response. So there's this question of how do you play around days or do you play around days? And that's something that it's a really complicated, you can't just answer that sort of question in a vacuum. And the answer can change from turn to turn depending on what your opponent's up to and what you've drawn and what priorities have shifted in the game and how much time you think you have and all those those different factors. And that's a way to essentially generate card advantage. If they can't convert their days into anything meaningful or you know they shuffle it away and they've kept an extra land that isn't very valuable, it's not card advantage in the way that divination is card advantage, but you know it's functionally very close. We'll have more on red coming up, but first a word from our sponsors. Hello friends, do you know how many no's I get when asking people to guest on Kitchen Table Magic? A lot. Mostly people just don't respond, or they're just busy. But I've gotten many yeses, and it's all because of your generous listening of the show. Your likes and follows on Facebook and Twitter lets the Magic community know that this show is legit. When you tell your friends about this cool podcast you listen to, they start listening as well. Your five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and iTunes helps new listeners find the show. It's all because of you that helps Kitchen Table Magic grow and be heard by more people around the world. Your financial support on patreon.com slash kitchen table magic helps to pay for the audio equipment, editing software, and web hosting that actually produces the show. Just think about it. Airwaves from my voice translates into electronic signals that are stored as ones and zeros on my hard drive, and then on servers that are delivered by the internet to your device, and then back into sound waves where they finally hit your eardrums. And once these sound waves enter your brain, they inspire you and connect you to the community and history of Magic the Gathering. If you'd like to join the squad, head on over to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Mucho thanks to my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future, who are amazing people that always open bomb rares in their sealed pool. Thanks for listening. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. Kitchen Table Magic has been all about the origins of the game and the members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games are so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for weekly Magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden deck boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games with their friendly staff that allow local Magic communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They have great online reviews that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of Magic cards, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern, commander, legacy, and standard staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic cards. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of their pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Be sure to sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes, special deals, and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, fast shipping, great customer service, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to help support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com slash KTM when you shop. TJ, what mechanics are quintessential to Red's color identity? Haste is absolutely the first one. So much so that I considered cutting you off mid-question just to get that <laughs> answer out there. I thought that might be a little bit rude, though. And it's Red Baron, not Rude Baron. <laughs> Other than that, you start looking at direct damage is such the iconic 
part of what red is known for. Lightning Bolt's the first iconic card of red, which has continued its legacy of three damage, has always been good, it will always be good, and it will always be red. Beyond that, you really look at a lot of these uh, two ones for two that have slight upsides or medium, you know, playability. And they really just do a lot of this sort of, not, I don't want to say synergy with each other because I don't want to, it's not really a direct synergy that they create, make each other better, but almost through their uniformity, they create this kind of block of consistency. So, the red cards all do relatively similar things, and they do it well. And as they continue to push forward, that's uh, something that's being explored a lot more, and I would like it to be. But in the meantime, red's at least consistent, if nothing else. There's these really interesting, you know, uh, cliche red cards that are like, you know, some random burn spell or like some shock or some incinerate copycat. Uh, there's a whole bunch of like ancient grudge shatter. Now we have a braid that kind of just destroys artifacts, things like that. And then we also have some very interesting red cards that kind of don't fit that mold, but are also very powerful, like Grim Lava Mancer. And young pyromancer, like they're so different, and like blood moon, they're all so different because they don't follow that. Hey, let's do a little bit of damage, or let's deal a little bit of damage to everything, or hey, let's destroy an artifact. I think those cards, and then you add on Eidolon of the Great Revel. You add on, you mentioned young pyromancer. It's cards that really are squeezing out the damage potential from any given card. They lend themselves from damage cards to damage cards. Grim Lavamancer is such a phenomenal form of reach because you're able to take a burn spell and convert it into a piece of damage because two of them create two damage. Young Pyromancer, every time that you cast one of these spells, it creates another point of damage that can get through. Uh, and then looking at Blood Moon, which is on a little bit of a different axis, that one is a little bit less of making your cards deal more damage, but that one is more just, if your opponent can't play the game, your pressure is inevitable. So your burn spells will get there if they are incapable of playing the game. And that's a little bit more in the old style of red cards in which anything that was a hate card got put into red because that's an angry color which feels the need to lash out. And it's certainly moved on from that in a lot of ways, but their impact is certainly still felt through, at least modern, most certainly. The mana color of red, as its entirety as a whole, it can be broken down into a few basic concepts. Direct damage, going fast, and total chaos. It's kind of that putting your putting your foot to the floor in your car and just driving and going crazy and just, just Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> so the basic concepts of red, you have haste, double strike, fire breathing, goblins, dragons, lightning, flames, chaos, passion, aggression, speed randomness i actually uh I, in in preparing for this i looked up the word random as an oracle and i said color identity white and it's like less than 10 color identity green less than 10 color identity blue eh, less than 10 close to 10 but color identity black eh, 20 something color identity red 40 or 50 something different things all have random. They're like, discard a card at random, give this thing haste, discard a card at random, make this thing a 2 2. Like, it all kinds of it. Random is at first, I thought that black was the random thing because it's always like, discard a card at random. Okay, that makes sense. But then you think about red, and red is just like, do you like rolling? Do you like rolling dice? We're going to figure out which card you're going to discard, but we're going to do it like all your cards flipped upside down. We're going to like roll a d20 to see which one you get to remove. Oh, you want to you want to zap something on the board? Which one's going to get zapped? Who knows? You're going to let's we can we can shoot this one. Or, you know, if if the RNG gods decide that they don't want you to hit that one, then you're going to hit something else or you're going to hit your own face or whatever. Who knows? We're playing magic. It's crazy. Patrick, what are the mechanics that are essential to red as a color identity? To the identity, I would say direct damage, very good with and against artifacts, various forms of land destruction, dragons, goblins, and 
not that they do a ton of random designs, but anything in the coin flipping space, warp world type designs, the lion's share of that stuff goes to red. Yeah, all of those random effects, I think, are so interesting. You know, like, we know about direct damage spells, we know about dragons and goblins and first strike and artifact destruction and blowing up lands. That's that's always really fun. But this whole random aspect of it, sometimes it almost feels like when I see card design in that space, I'm just like, oh, that's kind of unplayable. I don't, I don't even know when that would be played. But it's obviously not because they made it. Well, it's, you know, a little bit goes a long way. There's a certain segment of the population that... They don't even care about whether they're winning or losing with their Warp World deck. They just want to see some crazy stuff happen. That doesn't justify a Warp World every set, but every year or two, sure. And it, you know, for players that are competitive, they can just bracket that card off and forget about it. But for the person who's in for the that sort of experience, one of those designs every once in a while goes a long way. Interesting way you put it, because I, I always looked at it and I was like, hmm, going to bracket this one off. But you're right. I guess if someone is like, hey, I really want to see what goofy things can happen, then that, that kind of stuff is gold. Right. As long as it's not causing you any harm and someone is out there enjoying it. Yeah. But you don't want to make the game too much about that sort of stuff. There's some people who are really turned off by random experiences and the cards aren't always the most elegant designs. But doing one every once in a while, I think, is major net upside for Magic's audience. I also want to talk a little bit about Red Planeswalkers. I think they're very interesting and unique in their own perspective. You know, when we think about the quintessential Planeswalker, we're always thinking about like Jace, like, oh, let's draw some cards. It's got kind of a cool spell. You know, it can protect itself like Lillian of the Veil, you know, Nyssa and Garrick, they all put out tokens of some kind. Elspeth puts out tokens. Soren puts out tokens. You know, Venzer bounces things and draws cards. Tamio does things that have draws cards and all this random stuff. And then you look at like Red Planeswalkers, right? And you look at like Chandra, people have been kind of unhappy about Chandra. Oh, it just deals a bunch of damage and, and like very, very slight card advantage. And then if you ultimate, great, we do a lot of damage, which is not enough because you're dead by then, right? And then you've got interesting cards like the new Chandra, you know, Chandra, Torture Defiance, ooh la la, we got four abilities, right? Beats Mind Sculpt in a straight up fight. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not outside the game, but you put both of them on the battlefield against each other. Chandra comes out ahead. Really interesting. Direct damage redirect. That's right. <laughs> and then you've also got like interesting uh, interesting people like Koth that turns your mountains into very fast clocks. I mean, earlier, TJ, you were talking about Scred, Red, and Modern. I mean, when Koth comes down and you are not ready, you have a very difficult time getting rid of Koth. Yeah, the Red Planeswalkers are definitely an interesting realm to work within. Uh it's always interesting to me that there's really three that you think of when you're going into the red ones. Um, Chandra, Koth, and then Tybalt is whether it's for meme potential or because of flavor reasons, he comes up in the conversation. And actually all three of them, while Chandra has certainly recycled abilities, have a very distinct feel, which I don't think is present in other planeswalkers that share colors. Uh, you know, certainly we felt similarities between Garuk and Nissa on occasion, and we felt a lot of similarities between Tamio and Jace on occasion. And, you know, Gideon and uh, Ajani have very distinctly themes in what they do and how they go about it. But the Red Planeswalkers all operate a little bit differently. And Chandra definitely is about kind of grinding out value, which is why she's never been very popular, is because that's not what you want to do in those colors. So she's certainly gotten better at it. Pyromaster, a fantastic step in the right direction. Torch of Defiance again, and you know, adding on to some of those new mechanics of exiling the top card is a great way to approach that. And then you look at Koth, which is so based around everything mountains and doing it differently. And, you know, attacking with mountains, drawing mana from those mountains, and then eventually turning those into a direct damage source of their own. And then Tybalt sort of sits on the sidelines, and I recognize that. But he's actually one of my favorites from a story perspective, because while he was very unfinished in his character, he wasn't touched on a lot, he offered something that was, I think, unique and interesting as a character, which is many of the current characters draw their power from the things around them, the land, their memories, things that they've seen. 
And Tybalt feels kind of unique in that he draws his power almost exclusively from the people around him, and not in sort of a they-lend-it-to-him way. It's that he takes it. And by creating that sort of, you know, I think he was called a, a pain caster, or potentially I was, I mean, correct, but that's at least how I understand it, is that he kind of creates this pain and that becomes his power. So I like that the main Red Planeswalkers are exploring different avenues of what red can do and while Dibble is underwhelming in its application it's an interesting character of kind of taking this randomness and hopefully turning it into a benefit and koth is an interesting one of taking those resources and while not strictly a mono red certainly rewards your dedication to that color and then chandra gotten phenomenal at actually starting to grind out that value and create these small incremental advantages which you know, talking about how each one of these decisions lends its weight, each one of those decisions can really move itself towards your game plan. So I'm a big fan of the Red Planeswalkers. They certainly started out rough. You did touch earlier on my absolute favorite creatures, by the way. You rattled them off one after another. Grim Lavamancer and Young Pyromancer are my two favorite red creatures in the, actually just favorite creatures in the game. So really? you nailed that one. Yeah, absolutely love them. Yeah, my favorite creatures, I think of all time in the game of Magic would have to be like, Grim Lavamancer, Deathrite Shaman, and they both function in very similar ways, right? Mm -hmm. I love Goblin Guide because it's Raging Goblin, but a little bit better. And a little bit lost. Oh, yeah. Young Pyromancer, it's bonkers in the sense of like when you're casting spells. It's just bonkers. I mean, it's like the front-loaded Snapcaster Mage. You need to cast spells, then cast Snapcaster Mage, and then cast that spell again with a flashback. But when you're having like Young Pyromancer, you're just casting spells, you're getting an immediate impact on the board. Yeah, I played quite a bit of Young Pyromancer back when Born of the Gods came out into Journey into Nyx. I was playing Boros Burn at the time, which was uh, one of the reasonably popular decks. But this is actually where I moved from the Red Deck Wins, you know, going from Rakdos Cackler up into uh, Fanatic of Mogus up into Stormbreath Dragon, and more moving into the realm of, at the time it was Shock, Skullcrack, Boros Charm, War Leaders, Helix, and having Young Pyromancer was such an incredible piece of uh, technology in that deck, because it was able to really help the deck push into uh, various stages of the game. It was a great contender against Desecration Demon, because you could just always remove it as a threat. Uh, yeah, that, I absolutely fell in love with the card during that time, because I played quite a bit of Boros Burn. That, this was before I really broke into some of the other formats. My favorite red creature would probably be Goblin Guide. Either Goblin Guide or Young Pyromancer. Goblin Guide embodies red very well, though. It, it, it encompasses the goblin tribal theme that red is so, it's so fascinated with. But it also encompasses that haste and deal damage for however it can possibly deal damage. Like, I want to deal damage, but I'm going to draw a land. Like, don't care. Two damage to your face. Let's do this. It's like, but I'm I'm getting card advantage. I'm getting, I'm, I'm never going, I'm going to know what's on top of my library. It's like, yeah, so will I. I got to know what's on top of your library, but I get to hit you for two. Let's do this. Let's, let's go right now. And Young Pyromancer kind of, it encompasses that the underdog, that like little, like that like swarm mentality. Like there's not really a whole lot of colors in magic that you would feel kind of embody that swarm mentality. And red has like, let's make a million goblins, make a million goblins, I'm gonna hit you. It's gonna be great. And and young pyromancer kind of does that, but with elementals, it gets to it gets to more things to attack with while also blasting you. Cause it's like young pyromancer, all right, cool. I'm gonna lightning bolt you. And then after that, I'm gonna like I'm gonna chain lightning you, but I'm also getting one ones. And I'm gonna do a bunch of stuff with these one ones, and it's gonna be awesome. But I'm gonna I'm gonna just keep getting more damage and more and more and more and more and more. And young pyromancer is a, it's it kind of embodies that power at any cost mentality because it does this really really good effect but it's a two one like and it's not like snapcaster mage where snapcaster mage comes down and it flashes something back and you get that instant value young pyromancer really has to stay on the battlefield for a long time to be able to get the max amount of value but it can die to anything like it can be blocked by a squire and it's dead and like it's it's not good so you can you can really do very little with it, but it's powerful when you do a bunch of stuff with it, especially when you like couple it with like Cabal Therapy or whatever, like flashback spells. Those are amazing. 
Planeswalkers, the unfortunate thing with Planeswalkers is they're kind of, I feel as though a lot of Planeswalkers embody the newer era of red. So you have like that emotion, you have that passion kind of idea with a Planeswalker. None of them embody that like chaos and speed and like I, I mean there there are Chandra like some of the Chandras will give you mana that you can use to cast spells and will deal some damage, but they're not like they're not that feeling of chaos that you that you got from like some of the earlier magic cards. But flavor wise, I feel like Sarkin might be either Sarkin or Chandra. I want Tibble to be really good. And I think everybody wants Tibble to be really good because Wizards of the Coast is like, we have this sweet two mana planeswalker and everybody's like, hold up. Did you just say two mana planeswalker? And they're like, two mana planeswalker. And you're like, two mana planeswalker. And they're like, two mana planeswalker. And then it comes out and you're like, can we get a three mana planeswalker that's better <laughs> like can we get something that co- can we can we get this planeswalker but we can we have him cost one red instead because then he'd be sweet he, he's the unfortunate thing i i think i think maybe in in a few years tybalt will get they'll they'll some tybalt reincarnated will come out and he'll be like a four mana planeswalker that'll have like six abilities and will blow up everything he'll have sinkhole as like a, a plus one i don't know it'll be amazing but i think card wise chandra's got a good got a, a decent amount of good planeswalkers flavor wise either chandra or sarkin like sarkin sarkin embodies kind of i think sarkin is a great planeswalker for red because he has like that dragon tribal and that dealing damage and that like make everything on fire and then there's sarkin the mad and so it's like oh sarkin's losing it that's red like red is is losing control Regardless of if it's you losing control, your opponent losing control, everything is going crazy and everything's upside down. I love Koth. Ooh, Koth is a good one. Koth is a good one. Believe it or not, we often forget about like Faden, Nicol Bolas, Domri Raid, Xenagos. Like, they're all red. They're Dak all... Faden's good. Yeah, Dak Faden, he's the greatest thief in the multiverse. He's a, uh, he's red, but he's like, I don't know, he's a traitor of red. He's just <laughs> like, he's like this red. He's like, yeah, I'm a red, I'm red, but I'm like red blue. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, you're red, but come on, buddy. Like the neat thing is he does do a lot of, he gets to, uh, to beat up on blue despite being blue where it's like, all right, I'm going to make, I'm going to, I'm going to play notion thief and then I'm going to, then I'm going to, I'm going to plus you and you're going to draw some cards or I'm going to draw some cards and you're going to discard some cards and it's going to be awesome. I don't feel as though Dak Faden kind of encompasses red. I mean, he gets to take artifacts, which is pretty sweet, which a lot of other, like red's really the only, the only architect, the only color that doesn't get to just use artifacts. Like you're not like, Turn one, Mox Ruby, Lightning Bolt, you and Vintage. Like, no one does that. Um, so you get to take all these, like, happy go lucky control decks and, like, Dak Faden, take your Mox. And it's like, <sighs> I'll tap it first. You can have it. And it's like, yeah, next turn, I'm going to take another one. It's going to be awesome. I also really like how Red has been approached in terms of Planeswalkers. Planeswalkers is this, this really interesting, it's not a spell, but it's also not a creature, and it like is also kind of like a life sink, and they do so much. I mean, looking at the design of like Hoth of the Hammer, right? Like, it gives you red mana, it can turn a mountain into like a big creature and attack, and, and it's almost kind of like an out-of-the-nowhere burn spell that comes crashing in, and then the emblem allows you to use your mountains to essentially tap and burn and ping basically any you want that's absurdly powerful but even on a different axis you look at chandra torch of defiance now you've got card draw and shoot something spell and give you mana and do all these really powerful things it's like huh they're really expanding on some of those themes we talked about before repackaging them definitely upping the power level to them on a different axis that you know not like a goblin guide not like a hazard and yeah you got to be careful about that stuff too you know so chandra torch of defiance your eyes wide open spending a lot of power points there. The point of that card is to be one of the, you know, foundational cards of standard and it defines a lot of what's good and what's not good. You, even though Chandra has a card advantage of power, it's really important for it to not feel like Jace the Mind Sculptor or Jace Bellerin. So you need to have this effect that you, even though you can grind out card advantage with it, it's a little bit more complicated than that. It's situational. It doesn't always work. Sometimes, you know, you, you can never hit a land off of it. If you're trying to get mana, you're better off using the power that gives you two red, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's a really cagey way of doing card advantage, a card advantage planeswalker in red. It does have some games where it feels like, yeah, I'm drawing two cards a turn. I'm running away with a game of the Chandra but in a way that's different than the blue planeswalkers that draw cards. 
Let's talk about some of your favorite red cards. I know we touched on a few red creatures. What about favorite red spells, favorite red sorceries, favorite red anything? For favorite red instance, we touched a little bit on this one. Uh, Lightning Bolt is actually just my favorite card in the entirety of the game. I think it is among the just more perfect designs in the game. It is powerful, but not too powerful. Um, personally, I think it's actually the best of the original boon cycle. You know, the whole mentality is why draw three cards when you could draw seven cards because you killed them and you went to game two, right? And why gain three life when you can gain X life where X is the amount less than 20 that you have because you killed them and you went to game two. Why make a giant creature when you can just eliminate all theirs? Because you killed them. You went to game two. The spell is perfect because it just wins games. Uh, you move into sorceries. Probably my favorite sorcery, Mana Clash is definitely up there. It's one that I don't get to talk about too much. So being here is actually pretty exciting because it's just such a cool card in its design and its feel. And every time that you cast that, there is going to be emotion at the table, whether it is fear from your opponent, them laughing in your face as you both flip heads to start off with. Or as I've done on occasion, I have cast it, taken five, they've taken one, and we've moved on with the game. It's just a spell that, you know, creates stories. And that's one aspect that I really enjoy about it. You know, TJ, what you were saying about how red spells create stories when any magic player goes onto YouTube and looks at like the best magic plays, the first one that comes off of that is like Char to the Face, Top Deck, Lightning Helix. Guess what? Those are all red cards. And then you look at Brian Kibler's win in like Pro Tour Dark Ascension, and he's like flips up the card and just like windmill slams the Galvanic Blast. Yep. And you then know? you look at the Top Deck Bonfire. That's right. You look at the Top Deck Bonfire. Brandon Burton's Bolt, Bolt, Bolt moment that Gabby Sparks did commentary for recently at a GP. And then you also just look at among the greatest plays ever, Patrick Sullivan versus Ross Marion, quintessential red player lesson of how to play a red deck. All of these great stories defined by red cards. And those really random crazy moments with red cards like um, Ignite Memories when Gabriel Nassif versus Patrick Chapin, and they were playing Ignite Memories, and they were both playing like the same deck, and they were rolling for it, right? So Patrick Chippen was like on the heels of winning. Like really, like everyone, like commentators, Brian David Marshall, were like, oh yeah, Patrick Chippen's winning, does Ignite Memories, and then like what? Storms off like what? Five times or nine times or something like that? You know, like crushes it. Gabriel and Steve had three cars. So so Patrick Chippen was like, this is one, two, that one's three, four, that one's five, six. Rolls the dice. It's like, okay, something. And then flips it. It's like one damage. And then like rolls the dice. It's like one damage. <laughs> like rolls the dice. It's like one damage. Like, oh, we didn't get there. <laughs> and then Gabriel and Steve is like, Ignite Memories. And then like kills Chapin in like one shot. Oh, it's amazing moment in magic and defined by a red card that is red in many of its aspects and all of the effects in red are so defining in what they do and the emotions that they elicit from the players and from the audience my favorite instant for red is it's kind of a cop-out answer it's lightning bolt like lightning bolt is the quintessential red spell like it's it's the boon it's that amazing art that pay red deal three that encompass that like that is that is red in a nutshell it's like it's fast it deals damage that's it like that's that's what it does my favorite red sorcery is actually perfect for what red is and it's this sweet unglued card that says each player hides at least one item then simultaneously all players reveal them each player loses life equal to the number of items he or she revealed the player who reveals the fewest item then loses half of his or her life rounded up if two or more players are tied for the fewest each player loses half their half their life rounded up and it's like it's this thing where it's like all right I cast this thing and I reveal my keys, my cell phone and my wallet. It's like, well, I revealed my keys. Oh, well, you lose half your life. It's like, oh man, that sucks. And the best thing about this and the, be the, the best way that I can feel that this encompasses red is that's not an unglued card. That card came out in Stronghold. Like that card is that card is Goblin Game. Um, oh, sorry, my bad. It came out in Plane Shift. So like that card came out in Plane Shift. It's legal in Legacy. It's legal in EDH. It's this weird thing of like, I cast a spell... My friend shows me his keys and his shoes and I take damage like or I lose life. It's like, that's a card. 
What? That's that's absurd. Red is absurd. Yes, that that's exactly what red is. My favorite enchantment for red is Grip of Chaos because Grip of Chaos pretty much takes magic and and says nah. Like it's like all right, I'm gonna cast uh, this. Mm, that targets. Let's roll a die and see if it targets something else. I'm gonna giant growth my creature. Mm, but what about my creature? Let's see. Let's see what what RN, what RN Jesus says. Like, let's see what the, the what the the random gods say. Is that going to target this? No, no, no. It's going to target something else. Okay, yeah. So we talked about spells. Any other any other particular red cards you want to talk about? I'm a huge fan of Tybalt. Big fan of Tybalt. I've actually developed a little bit of a hobby at this point. I'm not entirely certain how it started. It kind of feels like it's always been at this point. But anytime that I go to a GP. I go out and I buy every Tybalt in the venue. Go to every vendor, tell them I'm looking for Tybalts, get the Tybalts, and then tell me, you know what, as you're through the weekend, if you see them, I'm looking. So keep your eyes open. And uh, I have assembled, give or take, about 240 Tybalts since then, um, which to me, I'm particularly proud of this collection because none of them have been ordered online. So it has been 100% either in-store purchases or trades or through vendors or some of them were gifts. But uh, I have not ordered a single Tybalt online. have acquired them all 100% by hand. Wow, that is amazing. Yep, it is quite a collection that I, at a certain point, realized had no use whatsoever. (laughs) So what I've been doing since then is actually whenever I travel or, you know, meet members of the community, what I like to do is actually have them start signing these Tybalts. And so I've got a collection that I'm up to uh, probably about in between 70 to 80 signatures um, from various pro players or content creators or, you know, great variety. I've got actually a playset signed by Jacob Wilson because he actually did play Tybalt in uh, a bunch <laughs> online. So because of that one, I actually had to get some extra ones because he'd actually played a Tybalt. I think it was Joe Lissette who put a box on it with a tally and he said, uh, please put a tally mark anytime this card is actually played. Uh, it's still blank, unfortunately. So hopefully Joe doesn't follow up on that one. <laughs> but <laughs> that's amazing. Oh my god, that's so crazy. Yeah, it's uh it's a fun collection to have. It's been a lot of fun to build. So anytime that I go to those events, it gives me this kind of side game while I'm trying to interact with the community and I'm trying to go and play some magic. It gives me kind of this you know, side quests are such an important part. Did you ever even finish Skyrim? No, you did side quests the whole time. <laughs> now I'm chasing side quests. I'm getting I'm getting signatures on Tybalt's. I also wanted to talk to you about a very unique card in red magic history that other color identities almost don't have, and that's Blood Moon. Oh, man. <laughs> so the concept of Blood Moon is a fantastic concept, especially in a lot of like the competitive formats, because a lot of the competitive formats these days, you have multicolored decks, you have so you have these like non-basic lands that tap for different colors. And Blood Moon says, nah, red, red, nah, nah, nah. What's that what's that tap for? No, nah, it taps for red. It no. Nah. What does that do? Oh, it creates creatures? No, nope, nope. It taps for red. It's a mountain. Oh, you have a dried arbor? No, 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 no. You have a mountain arbor. He's cool. He's still a creature, but he's a mountain. And he taps for red. But he can also beat up stuff. But he's red. He's red now. He's he's oh, he's, oh, he's still green. He's a green mountain, but he taps for red. Yeah, it's weird. I think one of the neat things about the spreading seas and seas claim and all those like those blue like not quite blood moons is I think it's I think it's wizards. I think it's R and D's way of saying red has always been like that aggressive underdog to blue like blue is always like the oh we're the best mage and we get all the card advantage and we get all the counter stuff and we get all the control effects and red is just like hydroblast how a pyroblast pyroblast you i'm gonna blow up your i'm gonna blow up all your all your blue permanents and i'm gonna counter all your blue spells but what about black i don't care whatever black play a black creature play hypnotic specter i'll just lightning bolt it but i you're not gonna be able to counter like you can't counter my lightning bolt but blue blue can counter my lightning bolt blue is the only thing that can stop me from killing you and so now i need something to stop blue i need to be that underdog i need to be able to dig into blue where blue is and so i think spreading seas and seas claims is just like that's blue's way of saying like i see what you're doing here with that and i can do that too and red's just like i don't care like whatever, I'll blood moon. <laughs> I mean, I guess I can't. Once you seize claim my mountain, then it's it taps for blue, which is sad. 
the enemy color of red is blue and white when、yeah. we're looking at the color wheel. Yeah. But it's pretty obvious that blue's most hated enemy is red,、oh, and、yeah. vice versa. Yeah, yeah. We can also say that red has ally colors in、mm-hmm. black and green. Yeah. Which of the ally colors does red play best with? I think the most akin color to red, I want to say, might be green because green, green will you have your your one one haste goblin. Well, for an extra green, it's a four-four haste goblin. Like that's that's a lot of damage. Like turn two, I'm cracking you for four damage. That's insane. Like it's it's so good. Black to me, it feels like a cop out friend of red. Like red's like I want to kill stuff, and black's like me too. And you're like you.、Mm, I don't know if you want to kill stuff for the same reason that I want to kill stuff. Like you want to do stuff for like the the chaos of the world. Like you want to like you want to be crazy. But you you don't you just you're just there to like I need allies because I'm like the brooding emo kid that shops at Hot Topic. Like green is just like I and so one of the things I have a hard time giving gr- giving red an ally because green sure it, it can ally with it flavor wise red's like burn stuff and green's like we should grow this tree and it's like yeah but have you considered lighting that tree on fire and then launching it at somebody and it's like I mean I hadn't but can we not and it's like yeah but what if we lit your grizzly bear on fire and then we sent it at somebody it would be a grizzly bear that would be on fire um but it like I think I think one of the great things about red is that it does have a lot of flavor to it where a lot of it encompasses. The like jovial nature of Magic: The Gathering. It makes it. It brings it down to its basics of we're playing a card game. Let's let's play a card game. It, it makes it so that like when your strategy just seems like it might work, then all of a sudden, oops, it doesn't work because red throws a wrench into it. Even to the point where blue is like. All right, I have the strategy. It's, let's control this game. I want, I want this to be my game of magic. And then Red's like, first of all, possibility storm. Second of all, I'm gonna counter whatever you're gonna do if that doesn't work. Like I'm the anarchy to the order. You know, like it's 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 the unknown. It's Danny DeVito's character, and it's always Sunny, where he's like wild card and just jumps out the back of the car. Like that's Red personified. Patrick, what do you feel like is the role of red within the game of Magic: The Gathering? I mean, more than anything else, it's about having a more emotional, less controlled experience. Whether or not the deck is particularly powerful, whether or not it's playing a lot of cheese stuff and burn, or trying to ritual into something big, I think it's really important for red to, for example, not get a whole lot of smoothing of draws. I think it's important for them to get cards that have. Drawbacks, or that you can't always control car- creatures that are forced to attack. Things where it's not about having full control of the experience, but trying to maximize your cards for what they are. I-, I think that a lot of people that are drawn to red, it's not necessarily a reckless experience, but it's a little bit more of I'm going to push on this real on this particular proactive thing, and I'm going to try to manage my resources as best that I can, but not have full control of it along the way. Red always seemed to be a chaotic color. That kind of is like the flavor to it. But very early on, when I first started to learn how to play Magic, I built my little elves deck. Then I built my little white weenie deck. I found blue and black to be more challenging to play, and my red burn deck was very linear. I would bolt people and then play like a Viashino Sand Scout, and you know, or something like that, like a Flowstone Hellion, you know, just like goblins, things like that. It felt linear to me, and it also. Felt like these red spells were great for control, and then every once in a while, when you got into range, you would bolt to the face and win suddenly. And it seemed more aggressive, more ferocious, also a little bit spontaneous. If you know, like I wasn't a very good player at back of the day, so I was just like, I don't really know where the spells are just going to come out of the blue to be able to like. I wasn't necessarily setting up any plays or anything like that. But it also seemed to me that red brought a kind of gameplay that the other colors really couldn't mimic. Yeah, so the Viashino Sandstalker type of design, I think, is really telling. 
So black gets really explicit drawback designs, you know, Lord of the Pits style stuff. Red gets a little bit of that too. But the Vyashino Sandstalker is a really good example of is haste and return this to your hand at the end of the turn. Is that a drawback or is that a power? It's confusing. Sometimes it's really powerful that it does that. And sometimes it's not. You don't have control over the way the card operates like you normally do with creatures that just attack and block normally. And you've got to figure out some way to maximize this or not care about the drawback or turn the drawback into a power. So I think that sort of example versus the Lord of the Pit lurking evil hidden horror style designs in black that are just, no, this is a penalty. You're getting upside. You're getting a large creature for the mana cost, but that you are paying a cost to get that. So I think that sort of differentiation between black and red is, is really important. Red as a whole is going fast and dealing damage at whatever cost is necessary to do so. That is red. Like red is red's go fast and hit hard. It's the 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 like the simplified version of it is just like gotta go fast, gotta hit hard, don't care why, don't care how, just do it. One of the other reasons why I love red so much is because it also kind of embodies my youth and when I was playing magic at first and playing against my older brother, I could never win in this game. I was so frustrated with it and I never wanted to play magic again until I found out that there are cards with the type goblin. And I was like, raging goblin into goblin king, into whatever goblin, into this goblin, into that goblin, into another goblin, into this goblin. And now all of a sudden, all my one mana one ones with haste are all now like three mana one ones with mountain walk and haste and all do crazy stuff. And now I can make them all fire breathing and I can just dump all my red into them to make them deal even more damage. Red doesn't need blockers. Like somebody's like, all right, well, you got a bunch of creatures. Well, I got a bunch of blockers. And you're like, bolt you, bolt you, snapcaster, bolt you, bolt you. <laughs> and then they're dead. Like they're just, they're, he's like, Red is really good at just like take damage and go away. Like, and I want to do this as quickly as possible so I can finish up my game. You're going to die. We're going to finish up the game. I'm going to go get something to eat and then we're going to come back and I'm going to beat you again real quick. Okay, TJ. So we've heard a lot about what red is and also the history of red. But what do you see as a future trend for red in Magic the Gathering? I think red has been for a long time one of the most narrow colors in how it's able to maneuver throughout the game and what they're able to design for it. And I really like a lot of the steps they're taking. This new exile draw mechanic that they have where you exile the top card of your library, you can either play or cast depending on what the card is says. You know, use that card for this turn only. And it's a way to give red a card draw that isn't actually stepping into the territory of blue. I think that's a really fantastic design because it's not only flavorful, but it's powerful. It has a lot of different applications and what you can put that on because draw a card has been printed on hundreds of cards. Having an ability that is in almost the exact same vein, while it is a little bit more difficult because you want it to be playable, having that ability offers a lot that you can kind of work it into. I'm really excited for Red moving into other directions and exploring some of its other emotions and other aspects. One design that I continue to love was actually Felden of the Third Path, which came out in the Commander series where they were all single colored decks. And he was a character actually from way back when it was Dominaria, but he had lost his wife and they created this card in which he was an artificer who was bringing back artifacts and creatures from the graveyard out of this loss of his wife and kind of this mourning. And I really like that design because mechanically it is very red. But even outside the mechanics, I like when they're representing them through more than the anger, through the rage, through the base level instincts that you would expect from a game based on combat. When you can, exploring these cards, which can explore a farther depth of what that color is capable of, are really exciting to me. Patrick, you work at a game studio. Could you share with us a little bit what you think is the future trend of Red in Magic the Gathering? Well, if you're speaking to like power level, what's good? I think Magic has correctly moved away from the power being in burn spells and more in creatures. That doesn't mean that Red's not competitive. In fact, Red has been, you know, Mono Red Aggro has been one of Standard's best decks for a while now, maybe the best deck. But I think there's more room for interaction when the game is more about attacking and blocking rather than I hit you with this Goblin Guide once and now I'm going to lava spike you out of the game. So I think Wizards is going to continue to to push on that direction. Put power, if you even very good aggressive creatures that cost one or two mana, 
Now they make two ones for one that have powers. Back in the day, two ones with drawbacks were deemed too good. They have creatures that are, you know, I, I played with some really bad two drops, Firebrand Ranger type of stuff back in the day. Now you get things like Kari Zeb, which are just good, attractive designs. I think you're going to see less of chars and fire blasts and even stagger shocks, searing blazes. I think you're going to see less of that be where the power in red comes from, at least for aggressive strategies. Yeah, we've seen a move to really interesting small creatures from red. It almost felt like red got like the white weenie treatment, right? We had like Zergo Bellstriker and Kari Zev and like all of this really interesting stuff, like Harsh Mentor. I mean, they they don't have to be Goblin Guide absurdly good, but they're definitely like Savannah Lions Plus. Yeah, and to your point, I, I think that's really salient that if you do too much of that, it starts trampling on white's identity a little bit because that's supposed to be the color that gets really good cheap creatures. So even if you want to say, we can do better than Jackal Pup, we can give you Falcon Wrath Gorger, I think it's important for white's creatures to be better still because you don't want it to feel like, well, red gets all the best cheap creatures and all the burn spells. Why would I ever play white? So even if you want to improve red's cheap plays in the way that you know we we've just mentioned, you got to prop up the white cards, the white cheap creatures even more, so white keeps that part of its identity. Special thanks to T.J. Rogers, Chris Furterer, and Patrick Sullivan for sharing their love of red with us. You can find TJ on Twitter at RedBaronMTG. Wow, this guy really must love Red. Chris is on Twitter at FrisKerterer. Uh, yeah, let me spell that out for you. It's F-R-I-S-K-E-R-D-E-R-E-R. And Patrick Sullivan is on Twitter at BasicMountain. Whoa, okay, we get it. You vape. My full interview with Patrick will be out next week. And stay tuned for the fifth part of our Wooberg series, last but not least, Green. You know what time it is. It's time to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Super big hugs to Brian, Marcus, James L, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Aaron M, Neil, James G, Aaron C, Corey, Chad, Logan S, The Magic Man, Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Charlie, Geraint, Scryfall, Matt, Ian, Prescovi, Carl, Logan F, Jaina, Kyle, and Ryan. Thank you to our new supporter, Ryan, for joining the team. Listeners, if you'd like to get special gifts for my interviews, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. As I said before, your financial contribution goes directly to making the show better and helps keep it running by paying for audio equipment, software, and server costs. If you want to support the show while you're shopping at CardKingdom.com, just use our affiliate link, CardKingdom.com KTM. A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. I've created a new YouTube channel called PlayMTG. It's an upbeat, fast-paced new YouTube channel featuring deck techs from the pros, learn-to-play tutorials, level-up advice, card discussion, MTG community news, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash PlayMTG. You'll find links to the PlayMTG YouTube channel on facebook.com slash PlayMTG. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Play underscore MTG. I'm looking forward to creating new video content, and I've got some cool collaborations in the works please be sure to subscribe to Kitchen Table Magic on Apple Podcasts. And if you love the show, please leave us a review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Kitchen Table Magic is also on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and mtgcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast, where you'll find me tweet memes. Yeah, mostly memes. The show is also on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the show notes are at kitchentablemagic.org. Remember to listen to past episodes and be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. From Tarmogoyf to Swag Tusk to Crater Hoof to Force of Nature, Green is all about the beats. Even Green's lesser endowed creatures, the Elves, pack a huge punch when they gang up on you. Ramping into big mana and attacking with big creatures wins games. Are you ready for the sick gains? Do you even lift, bro? Step aside for the beefiest, trampliest, stompiest color in magic, green. Part 5 of our 5-part series on Wooburg, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. Welcome.